This is the Big Pond. I found nothing but acceptance and love when we came to Cincinnati. I found people were, were willing to hear, willing to listen, willing to want to know more. It's been very welcoming to the Muslim community that I can see. I have two great neighbors here who just stopped me in the street and say, don't worry, we will support you. And I was surprised. <laughs> we never talked, you know, just good morning. Hi, how are you doing? But I, I found them so supportive. It's like the first time where I'm really in a place where I feel like I'm the, you know, I'm the only minority. According to the Pew Research Center, Islam is forecasted to be the world's fastest growing religion in coming decades, with a projected Muslim population of 3 billion by 2060. Today, only about 4.5 million of the world's Muslims live in Germany, while a fraction call the United States home, with Pew estimating American Muslims to number about 1% of the nation's total population. While the majority of American Muslims live in big cities like Los Angeles or Houston or Minneapolis, there are smaller Muslim communities scattered across the United States. Today, we introduce you to Muslims living in what's considered America's heartland, the Midwest. I'm Rosemary Pennington. And I'm Joe Sampson. On a Friday afternoon, the 600-square-foot meditation room on Miami University's campus fills as Muslims come together for Junma, the weekly prayer service. After settling into their places on prayer rugs spread across the floor, many bow their heads to listen to the weekly kutbah or sermon. In today's world, we are witnessing attempts to smear Islam and Muslims. Muslims on Miami's Oxford, Ohio campus make up less than half a percent of the student body. How many Muslims work at the university as faculty or staff is unclear. The 25 or so individuals attending prayer this Friday represent only a fraction of Miami's Muslim population. There are very few students who want to be identified as Muslim or come to Juma. There are probably maybe seven, eight times more Muslims than what you see here. Zafar Ostamir is the faculty advisor to Miami's Muslim Student Association, or MSA, which helps organize the Friday prayer service. Ostamir has served as the MSA faculty advisor for about eight years. The information systems professor and native of Turkey says when he first started working at the university 15 years ago, it was hard to connect to other Muslims in the small southwest Ohio town where the university is located. When I first came here, there would be maybe five people during Juma. As you saw now, there are 25, 30. There's been some growth, but when you first came, it was a shock, quite a shock. Zame Hawk is the current student president of the MSA at Miami. The pre-med biology major from Dayton, Ohio, says finding a Muslim community on campus was important to him. So when I like first came to Miami, I didn't really expect there to be like a really big Muslim population because you know the stereotypes and everything that you expect, like majority white campus, you know, all the parties and everything. So then when I found that you know that there's a sizable population and that they have prayer here and everything, you know, it's a welcome surprise. But not everybody's life as a Muslim student in Miami is quite so easy. You no, know, Houston is very diverse. 
Um, but here in Oxford, you know, everybody's kind of a bit the same. So when I made that transition, I was very, like, it was kind of a bit of a shock for me. Senior political science and anthropology major Helena sits in a crowded cafe on Miami University's campus. Originally from the Democratic Republic of Congo, Helena moved with her family to Houston, Texas when she was seven. A few years ago, Helena's mom took a job in the Cincinnati area, and Helena followed her to the Midwest to study. And I didn't know how my experience was going to be, so I was, you know, I was a bit afraid, because it's like the first time where I'm really in a place where I feel like I'm the, you know, I'm the only minority, you know, person, especially in classes. Helena is black, and black students only make up 3% of Miami's student body. Wearing a maroon and gold hijab, as she talks about her experience as a Muslim at Miami, it's easy to see why she might worry about sticking out. She's not only the only woman in hijab in the cafe, she's also the only black person. For me, people don't see me as an authentic Muslim. They see me, you know, they stereotype me and say that I'm part of Nation of Islam. So they don't say, oh, you know what, she's a Muslim and she knows that they're always, you know, they will always stay like, oh, you know, you're not the authentic Muslim, but you're like the other type of Muslim. So you're less of a threat. You're still a threat because you're black, but <laughs> you're, you know, you're less of a threat. Though navigating the public space of the university can be difficult for Helena, it's not as difficult as it is for some of her friends because she commutes, which she says gives her the ability to go back to the safety of her community at the end of the day. Her friends living in dorms can't do that, and some of them have had to deal with Islamophobic treatment by fellow residents. Navigating the public space of the university can also be an issue for Muslim students in Germany. A 2009 study in the journal Social Anthropology found that Muslim university students often struggle to find spaces to pray or meet, and so they gather in whatever space they can find. That same study suggested the ability to be visibly Muslim and to engage in things like prayer services built up the self-confidence of Muslim university students in Germany. That struggle over space led the University of Hamburg to institute a religious code of conduct for its students. For me, I didn't see any harassment at all. Back in Oxford, Shatha Alazawi knows all too well what it's like to have to find space for oneself in a new environment. It's kind of strange feeling when you are leaving your home and just coming here just like that. But uh, after that, we just get more, you know, engaged with the community. And, and I found a job and kids were going to school and everything was good. I really like it now. Shatha came to Miami with her husband, who's pursuing a Ph.D. in chemistry. In Iraq, she was an English teacher, which she thinks helped her transition into life at the university a bit more easily than other spouses in her situation. Working with Miami's Women's Center, she helped organize the American and Muslim Collaboration Group. The group brings together non-Muslim and Muslim women so they can get to know one another, learn about their cultures, and work to move past stereotype. Shatha says the group's World Hijab Day event has also helped create a space for understanding. I invited my friends who, who is not really connected to Miami 
just a friends from my job through my job and, and just get know them through that and one of them she had a girls four girls she told me that before she know me she was afraid to see uh, a Muslim woman who is wearing hijab but after they visited me they saw me in a hijab and I invited them to the world hijab day and um, they even tried the hijab and they were so happy to put hijab in and supported me. Even with the feeling of support she's experienced in Oxford, Shatha says the town can sometimes feel small and it can get tiring navigating it as a visible minority. Like Helena and several others we've spoken to, visiting mosques in Westchester or the Clifton area of Cincinnati can make people feel connected to a larger Muslim community. On a Wednesday morning in November, the Clifton Mosque in Cincinnati is quiet, but for a group of workers positioned above the 13-year-old building, patching holes in the dome. It's a physical reminder of a bombing that took place here in December 2005. The bombing made us realize that we needed allies. That's Ismael Chartier, the center's imam. He was hired five years ago from a similar post in Denver. It's his job to repair the lingering psychological damage following the bombing. Even though um, no one was harmed and there was only physical damage to the building, it still reminds us of the vulnerability that we have. The center has spent $60,000 upgrading building security to include surveillance cameras and armed guards during Friday prayers. It's not a matter of if or a matter of when, if it's a matter of when is this going to happen? When is somebody going to come here and do something? So I think it's an overwhelming fear that exists in the mind of a lot of Muslims in America right now. In 2017, Germany's Interior Ministry noted that almost 1,000 anti-Muslim crimes were committed in the country, including the smearing of pig's blood on mosques and the writing of Nazi symbols on mosque walls. However, the ministry suggests the number of anti-Muslim incidents dropped in 2018. That's not the case in the U.S., where the Council on American-Islamic Relations, or CARE, says more than 1,000 possible anti-Muslim incidents were reported to their office in just the second quarter of 2018. Over the years, um, as Islamophobia has worsened in this country, we are seeing more hate crimes and hate incidents. We're seeing more attacks on mosques. We're seeing more bullying of children, including by teachers. Karen Dobdub is the executive director of CARE's Cincinnati office. She says CARE advocates for Muslims as well as works to educate the broader public about the diversity of the local Muslim community. It's diverse ethnically, linguistically, um, even religiously diverse as well. And even people who, are, who differ in terms of their adherence to the faith, you know, the, the, the whole spectrum from, you know, very conservative and very observant to very liberal and non-observant, just like any other religious community. CARE also works to educate that diverse group of people about their civil rights and to provide legal assistance when they face discrimination or are the target of a hate crime. One of those people working to do that is Rula Alouche. In these days where people have such an increased level of hate and hatred towards Islam and Muslims, I like standing out as a Muslim, even though I know that it puts me as a target. 
and it puts me in a situation where at times I'm unfortunately perhaps in danger and I shouldn't be. Um, but as an American, as an attorney and as a civil rights activist, I feel like it's even more necessary to practice my First Amendment right to wear hijab. Alush is the national board chair of CARE. The Cincinnati attorney says her activism and work on civil rights was partly spurred by the prejudice and misunderstanding she witnessed growing up. And while Islamophobia has a long history in the U.S., Alush says the recent increase in not only anti-Muslim sentiment, but also anti-Muslim hate groups, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, is something CARE is watching closely. It's deeply disturbing, and I, I do think it is new in the way that it's being put into practice. So maybe the hate has always been there, but now, like you said, it's empowered. And empowered, and not just empowered, but like there's a stamp of approval from the highest office in our land to act in ways that are hateful and hurtful to many, many people in our country, including Muslims. The American Muslim population represents a tiny fraction of the overall national population, but it is growing, with the Pew Research Center estimating Muslims will be the second largest religious group in the country after Christians by 2040. Even with such growth, Muslims would still only make up 2% of the U.S. population. In Germany, Muslims now account for 6% of the population, and it could be as high as 8.7% by 2050. As in the U.S., the German population is diverse, including established communities who immigrated from Turkey decades ago, as well as newer arrivals fleeing the war in Syria. The diverse backgrounds of Muslims in both the U.S. and Germany is a reminder that their experiences are diverse as well. It's also an opportunity to embrace new ways of thinking. I think the greatest challenge is us, is Muslims themselves. Muslims have chose to ostracize themselves from society. And whenever you ostracize yourself from society, society looks at you as a, as a danger, as there's something going on in there. What are they doing in that building? So we've really tried to open up our experiences with the community, not just allowing the community in to have full access to our centers, but also encouraging our uh, parishioners to become full community members. While there is no singular experience of being Muslim in the Midwest, all of the individuals we spoke with said it's becoming easier to connect to other Muslims in the region. Several also mentioned the importance of outreach efforts to non-Muslims in order to make local communities safe for everyone, Muslims and non-Muslims alike. And while anti-Muslim incidents are on the rise in the U.S., many of the Muslims featured in this story found cause for hope in the 2018 election. We saw this past election the highest number of Muslims running for office ever in this country, which was really a beautiful, I think, statement in response to the hate that's been coming against our community. Reporting from Southwest Ohio, I'm Rosemary Pennington. And I'm Joe Sampson for The Big Pond. Wunderbar together. You've been listening to The Big Pond, a series of dialogues between Germans and Americans. Coming to you from PRX and the Goethe Institute.